Hi, good morning and welcome to the Make Mental Matter podcast. This is Kaylee. And I'm Tori. And today on our episode, we have Miss Sarah Wright, who is a crisis evaluator at a local emergency room in Altoona, Pennsylvania. Thank you for being here. Yeah, of course. And let's get started. So I wanted to get the interview started by um, saying some of these things we're talking about might be sensitive to some listeners. So listener discretion is advised with all of the topics we're about to talk about. Sarah, can you just tell us who you are and what specifically you do? Yeah, definitely. So I am currently employed um, at at a hospital. Um, Basically, what I do is I assist patients who arrive to the emergency room with a complaint of crisis. Um, I work side by side with our attending physicians. Um, So basically, emergency room doctors, psychiatrists, and nursing staff. Basically, I follow an outline of questions related to suicidality, thoughts of harm to others, or self-injurious behaviors along with patient's psych history, including psych diagnosis, medication list, history of suicide attempts, uh, self-injurious behaviors, homicidal ideations, um, past psych admissions, um, and so forth. Basically, my team and I determine the patient's disposition, whether it is to be admitted into a psych unit to set up patient with outpatient psych services or to be um, safely discharged home. And additionally, my role is to facilitate the flow of information to promote um, effective communication between our team regarding the patient's care. Okay. And I was able to see you work live in action. And I was thinking about this last night. I was like, I don't understand how someone can have the mental capacity to do this job just because you have to work in such a high risk environment and just seeing you work it made me smile it felt I felt bad for the person who was going through but it made me like so happy that someone was able to have the job you have if that makes sense, because it's so necessary. So I think a lot of that has to do with um, being able to find kind of like an inner peace along the way um, to not take things personal. I think that's like a big thing for people is it's hard to not take um, people are in crisis mode. So sometimes they're not the nicest um, and they'll say really hurtful things and being able to um, decipher the difference between this is more about them than it is about me. How do I just kind of push what they're saying aside and continue doing my job and know that at the end of the day, um, this is for the better of them and just the world in general. We ha- we have a lot of um, mental health. I was I was actually thinking. Um, so when you first started going to college, did you immediately know this is what you wanted to do, or did you get like on site training, or were you like well prepared in college to do what you have to do? Yeah. So I, I kind of always knew that I wanted to go into psych. Um, and I think it goes back to, um, my own struggles with, uh, maybe anxiety. Um, sometimes I felt like that kind of like kept me from doing what I wanted to do and why, why, um, 
why was this thing constantly almost kind of controlling my life in a way? So it was nice to kind of explore that. And then, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to this. We have family members and friends who have their own experiences and it. You want to understand their experiences so that you can be more helpful for people. So I don't know. Psych was kind of a thing where it was just, I was, I was drawn to it. Um, and I, I think I, I felt that I was empathetic enough to do it. I think empathy is a really, really big part of psych. Um, I think people who don't have empathy or, or limited empathy struggle in psych more. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember we were working together for one patient and, I was like, how is she going to get through this person? Because they're they're so difficult in the fact that at that moment in time, there might not be anything that can change their mind. So that kind of like segues into the next question is, we already know how mental health impacts what you do, but in the emergency room setting, why why is it so important that you are in the emergency room. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think um, we can spend a little bit more time with them than, say, a doctor or a PA. And uh, resources are limited, um, which is really, really unfortunate. We don't always have um, a psychiatrist who can come down and evaluate them. So we're there to basically determine, okay, um, does this person need an admission? Because, again, resources are limited. We want to make sure that we're giving um, these research resources to people who really need them. Um, so it's good that we're there to kind of, uh, see what's going on and also reach out to the multiple different people we need to reach out, whether, um, it's to our inpatient psych unit to say, Hey, this person's coming up or to get a hold of an outpatient service and say, Hey, this person has an appointment next month. We need it like a week from now. Cause we're, why are they're not, at their worst right now, it could turn into their worst uh, a month from now. Right. You were mentioning how you are the person. I don't imagine that you have the final say if the person does get admitted or not. So what what are like the steps that go into determining who is at this level and then who's at this level? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So um, substance abuse is a big issue for for starters. Um, so a lot of people come in, and and not that that that's not an issue within itself. Why are people using? Um, and a lot of times you'll find that people are using to escape. I call it like a mental prison. Um, there, there's a lot of things going on in their head. They can't handle it. Um, so sometimes that that's a good example for me is do they need drug and alcohol treatment or do they need mental health? Um, and I think every drug addict needs mental health in some sense, but um, do they need to clear up before we can go to the mental health? So kind of figuring out how far gone they are in that situation. Are they safe with themselves? Um, are they going to act impulsively and get themselves arrested or accidentally hurt somebody? Um, the, the big factors for that are... Are, are they safe with themselves, safe with others, and are they able to care for themselves? Because sometimes there's um, this factor of inability to care for self. Um, maybe they're not going to immediately harm themselves, kill themselves, whatever, um, but they may not be showering, eating, um, stuff like that. So that could eventually um, cause some serious issues. 
And for our listeners, can you explain what a 201 is and what a 302 is? So there's the 201, 302. So a 201 is a voluntary commitment. So if they want to sign themselves in, um, and we'll determine whether they meet the criteria to send themselves in. And then occasionally we get the people who they come in, whether it's by police or family force them, and they have this last minute, well, you know what, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And you're like, you told me you were going to kill yourself by jumping in front of traffic. I, I can't let you go at this point. And they're still kind of arguing that. That is where I would um, enforce the 302 and voluntary commitment on them, um, which would basically legally bind them to a three to five day um, admission. And it, and it could be longer, but that's when you get into the 303s, 304s, etc. The reason I asked you to elaborate on that was because while we were prepping, Kaylee was so worried she would need some medical knowledge to have this conversation. Um, but in all reality, the whole point is to educate those who have yeah. no idea what happens when you walk through those doors. So her perspective allows, you know, medical professionals who are listening to this to take a step back and clearly articulate why we do what we do when you get help when you're in a crisis. Mm -hmm. So Kaylee, you being in this conversation is actually very valuable to those who have no idea what yeah. goes on. Like, you know, people automatically assume they're being stripped down and put in a bubble alone, but you, Sarah can shed some light on the steps that are yeah. taken and the importance of your job. You know, may maybe this will allow a listener to not be apprehensive about getting help and going to the ER if they're in a crisis. Um, Sarah, could you explain more as to what happens when you walk through the doors in a crisis and what you do immediately? Yeah. So they, um, they check them out medically as well to make sure there's not some kind of medical component to why they're feeling the way they're feeling, acting the way they're acting. Um, because you'll find that sometimes it can be something as simple as a UTI. Um, there, there's various things. I'm not really um, too uh, knowledgeable about the medical stuff, but we look for that initially. Um, then we do the assessment. Um, multiple people meet with this person. So you get the nurse's perspective, you get the doctor's perspective, and then you get my perspective. Um, mine is typically a little bit more in-depth, but then, we, then we'll meet up, compare information, see where we are. Um, we do a urine sample to see if maybe uh, drugs are involved, which, uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I, I truly do believe sometimes that goes hand in hand, not always. Um, but we're, we're seeing, it, especially in Altoona, a little bit more of a crisis with, um, with meth. Um, and that, that shows a lot of psychotic symptoms um, when, they, when they continue using it. Yeah. So they're coming in and you do all of your evaluations and then the team, it's a team. And that's what I loved watching happen in person too, because as a role as a PA, we are taught that our team is our whole entire purpose. We're not individuals. So uh, seeing you and the doctors and the PAs and the nurses all work together to determine how we can keep this person safe first and foremost, and how we can also help them if they need medical treatment as well was really cool to un see unfold. Yeah. And I thought it ran pretty smoothly, but what are some things yeah. that 
you think could improve on behalf of like what you do? Yeah. So I, um, I wrote a list of a couple things. Um, and let me, let me pull that up because there's always room for improvement. Um, so more available outpatient resources and services. Um, I feel like we could avoid a lot of crisis situations if we had enough outpatient services. Um, people could reach out. I find that um, when I'm sending someone home, I say just a heads up. This is the quickest one to get into. But if you choose not to go to this one, it's going to be a couple months wait. Um, and that that stinks to say because that they don't need it a couple months from now. They need it now. Um, so I think, I think that could be uh, a thing we need to acknowledge mental health a little bit more. I think a lot of people struggle with mental health. Um, the next one is better training when it comes to co-occurring diagnosis. Um, so yeah, you have your substance abuse, but they also have bipolar and being able to, um, decipher what exactly is going on and how to handle this person appropriately. Um, and to be able to pick out when it is substance abuse versus a bipolar episode, um, because mania from bipolar can also look like Matthews again, uh, sometimes, and maybe it's a combination of the both, uh, but being aware that it, sometimes it's not just one thing. It can be two things. And then the next one, uh, promoting support to employees to lessen burnout. Um, you find that care suffers when employees are tired and they are, um, they're, they're just burnt out. Um, the empathy kind of goes away a little bit. Um, and you just find that it's just not as great as an environment as it could be. Um, I, I see that a lot of the people who start in psych, they are so a hundred percent involved in about it and then give it a couple years and they're like, Nope. I, I, and it's not that they're bad people. It's not that they don't care. They just, they, they hit, they hit a breaking point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the next one is becoming uh, more aware of various drugs that are showing up in your community. Um, so we're seeing new things with, where, uh, and I guess this isn't, this isn't really new, but like uh, fentanyl getting mixed into different things. We're seeing more overdoses um, and determining whether or not this is like an intentional overdose, accidental overdose. Um, why is this person acting um, so um, extreme? Um, just, just being aware of what's going on in your community that could cause some of these issues. COVID was a big one too, being aware of, um, things that are happening around the world and how it affects other people, um, money, um, a, a lot of different things. Wow. Yeah. That, that last point you made is so powerful. Um, our school, in fact, um, hits on the social determinants of health and I know economic stability and healthcare access are the big ones, but also social and community aspects as well. So, so yeah, as you said, community plays a vital role in people's mental health, uh, much bigger than one probably realizes. There's so much work to be done um, in our communities, but like you also said, it's hard to treat people when providers go through burnout and mm. just the general population goes through it, too. Yeah, for sure. Um. Kaylee, did you want to add anything or ask something? Um, 
So like from my perspective, working with children and being in school to be an elementary school teacher, I've had to do research projects on like mental health and children. And I found in my research that, um, and it's so sad to hear, but it was around 600 children, I think, died by suicide, I think in 2019. So my question for you is how many, like what percentage would you estimate? of your patients or or people that come in are children? I would almost say um, half, depending on the time. Um, so if it's around Christmas, kids are looking forward to something. Um, they have something to kind of motivate them. Um, if school's starting, um, you see a lot more kids. Summertime, you see less kids. Um, but like right now, for an example, I am probably getting just as many kids as I am adults. And again, the resources are already horrible for adults. They are uh, so much worse for children. Um, And basically our thing is, um, sometimes it's related to the parents. Um, Sometimes you, there's not much you can say to the kid as much as you wanna sit down with the parent and say, you need to change this, this, and this. Um, And your kid will be okay. Um, so that, that makes it also difficult when dealing with kids, um, because parents sometimes aren't willing to hear that maybe they might be the problem to what's going on. So, yeah, I, I see a lot of kids, um, and they're, they're my toughest, um, demographic to deal with. Uh, one, because I, I, I just feel bad for them. They don't have control always of their, their home environment and what's going on. Um, so it's hard. And, and to look at a parent who is involved and say, Hey, um, I can admit your kid, but it's going to be a couple days that you're sitting here waiting for a bed somewhere, um, is really discouraging too. Um, so I wish, I wish there could be a little, a uh, little bit of a different way to go about helping kids. Um, but I'm seeing them as young as six. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That is so young. Yeah. That, that is that is alarmingly yeah 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 that is alarmingly young i at six what was i thinking about and (laughs) it wasn't what some of these kids are thinking about right and i don't social media is playing a role in this i don't know again um in my area uh there's a lot of poverty there's a lot of drug abuse um and some of these kids are growing up in that and really taking it um head on and they're not dumb they know what's going on to an extent and it's effective yes yeah they're so smart they pick up on lots of things very quickly from a young age yeah i don't know if you guys necessarily keep track in your hospital of the demographic information but <laughs> A majority of my project is centered around men and men's mental health because our dad um, died by suicide. So it's important that and he was in his 50s. So it people are like older men mm-hmm. um, killing themselves. What? This is like new to me because you think that nothing is wrong with them. But then you, like us taking a step back, we're realizing all these things that we possibly missed. Mm-hmm. And I don't think people realize that mm-hmm. 
men aren't getting help. It's women mm-hmm. who are getting help. So I didn't know if a majority of the people you see are women or um, men who are in the beginning stages of their crisis or mental health issues, really. Yeah. So I would say I, I, I do see, I would say like, again, 50% uh, men and women, but the men are usually younger. Um, I see maybe men in their thirties, twenties. Um, I, I, I do sometimes see men older, older, but not as often. And a lot of times it's forced. Um, and I, I don't know if it's just the age group of men, um, and the time they grew up in that it was seen as where they, they couldn't talk about things. And sometimes they're even standoffish with me, um, where I'm like, Hey, like, I'm not here to judge. Um, I just want to talk about it. Like it's, it's not a shameful thing. Um, a lot of people go through things and you have a lot of people who love you and want you around. Um, yes. And if you can, you know, be around for those people, try, try to be, and let's fix going on. Um, they're, they're a little bit of a harder group sometimes to get through too. Yeah. And, and you saying all of that doesn't surprise me because I think looking back at all of my logging stuff that I have to Mm -hmm. do, all of the crisis patients, except for, I think, one, was women. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and they were definitely a varying age. But I think the one person that was a man, it was younger, was not older. You know why that is? It's because the generations, it, it was always, you know, mm-hmm. stop acting like a girl, men yeah. don't cry. And now people are being told it's okay to yeah. have feelings, it's okay to reach out, which I think is necessary because you don't want people to bottle it up. Yeah, exactly. And I think we're going to see a new wave of um, some really, really good things, and 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 maybe some not. Yeah, there, there's pros and cons to everything, but I would say it would be more good than than bad. Where people are going to talk more now. We got um, kind of a thing going on right now where um, social media is kind of promoting this idea that. Uh, everybody has autism, everybody has ADHD, everybody, you know, so that, that's the 2% negative thing. Um, but the rest like 98%, it's, it's awesome that people are like openly talking about things and saying, Hey, this is going on and I need help. And, um, it's a really good thing. For sure. For sure. It definitely is. Um, so Sarah, while we wrap up, I just wanted to thank you for coming on our podcast and giving us an inside scoop on, what goes on in an emergency setting when someone's in a crisis. Uh, It's seriously so comforting to know a job like yours exists and the entire purpose of it is to, you know, provide help to the most vulnerable person. I mean, they, they might not be getting that support anywhere else. So the fact that you can step in and be that person for them and, uh, you know, if I hope this is a thing in every ER, um, because if not, these systems need to get on it because this is a benefit to yeah, everyone yep. involved. And uh, like you said, psychiatrists and therapists aren't at our beck and call for these people. And, you know, some people have to wait months, like six months to get in with a personal therapist. So, and you know, no one wants to wait that long. So I'm glad a job like yours exists, bottom line. No. And, and sometimes they can't wait that long. Exactly. And these are critical patients at this time in the emergency room, but 
just the fact that you can be evaluated by yourself and mm-hmm. and your role is really really cool so i'm glad you could um you know tell the world about how important your job is and i i just thought it was so cool seriously your team was easily the best thing from my experience in the emergency room thank you i'm not there to witness it firsthand but thank you for all that you do for you know the mental health community because it's so necessary to have that type of critical help in people who are having episodes or crisis you know yeah well thank you guys i really really appreciate it and i'm glad that i could do this yes thank you for being on the show we we love having people um elaborate on their experience and inform people about mental health because not a lot of people are aware of the things that go on in this community so thank you of course yeah and we want to reduce stigma period we want it gone get rid of uh-huh. it so we we hope that <laughs> this can get some people's heads thinking in a more positive light about going to get help and it might be a rough start yeah. to getting the help mm-hmm. but the first step in getting help is doing the work to put yourself out there or, you know, have someone else do it for you in that situation where you can't make those decisions yourself. Yeah. yeah. And with that, our very first interview episode of Make Mental Matter is done. I want to thank Sarah Ray again for coming on this and explaining her role and why it's so important. I also want to thank Kaylee for taking the time out of her day and giving that outsider's perspective to my project um i also want to thank you um without your support and um you know encouragement for this podcast we wouldn't be here and i know now and i'm very confident saying that this will continue after my project is done and we have a big goal and i hope we can accomplish at least a small part of my goal so thank you and you can now listen on all major podcasting platforms including apple music and spotify so thank you and tune in for next episode which i will be talking with miss stacy stankowski who is a pa in orthopedic surgery so stay tuned for that um all right thank you bye